Hello, this is Rabbi Rob Doberson, and welcome to this edition of Wrestling and Dreaming. In this edition of the podcast, I want to share with you a section of Talmud that we've been studying with our Talmud group. I want to do this a few times in the coming weeks because the section we're studying has so many interesting aspects to it, not the deep legal reasoning of other sections of the Talmud, but more philosophical, theological, reflective on life. And this is a section from Masechet Brachot, from the tractate that deals with prayer and blessings, which again is less legalistic and more uh, theological, perhaps more spiritual in certain senses. But before I teach that text, I want to share with you an experience that I and many here in Ann Arbor had this past weekend. We're able to host in the community a fantastic speaker, a tireless worker for human rights for all throughout the world, Ruth Messenger. Uh, Ruth Messenger was the director of the world, uh, the American Jewish World Service, and for many years, an organization which acting upon the commandments, the obligations we have to improve life for others who are subject to a human rights abuse or subject to servitude or subject to oppression, works throughout the world to help ease the pain of individuals, again, who are victims of abuse, who are denied human rights to education or to other, other um, aspects of life which, which, to which everyone should have an opportunity. It's a fantastic organization and Ruth Messenger is a tremendous spokeswoman for the importance of working on causes of human rights and for all of us to find a cause that we can attach ourselves to and work towards to whatever degree we can. I mention that because I'm going to talk about a section from Talmud and you know how much if you've been listening to the podcast or you've heard me uh, from the Bema or, you, or you've studied with me, you know how much I love Jewish text. I'm fascinated by Jewish text. I find it extraordinarily spiritually meaningful to engage in the study of our traditional sacred texts. But that's not the real story of what it means to embrace Judaism or to embrace being a mensch, being a human being. Sometimes we have to close the books and take what we've learned and, be, and been inspired by it and go out into the world and do what needs to be done. We can't hide in our sacred texts, no matter how much we love them. They need to propel us into the world to perform the acts of tikkun olam and of loving kindness and of concern for others. So in tribute to what Ruth Messenger reminded all of us of and in terms of remembering what so many of our teachers have taught us, to find a way to take these inspirations from the texts and really work in the world, not just within the text. Having said that, now let me share with you a section of text. And it comes, as I said, from Masechet Brachot, from the Tractate of Brachot, and it's fascinating because it has the origins of a very well-known Jewish custom. And you wouldn't expect it because the, the discussion, the context of the discussion is about prayer and the importance of approaching the Amidah, the silent prayer, which is the foundational prayer of every service, with a proper attitude, namely what's called Kovet Rosh, which seems to be an idea of reverence, 
uh, some would say submission, uh, gravity, seriousness. And there's a whole discussion about how we know that and what that really means. And then there's a very interesting quotation. Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak in the Talmud says that this whole idea of approaching prayer with gravity can come from this verse, and it's a verse from Psalms. And in the Hebrew, it's Ivdu et Adonai biyira v'gilu bira'ada. Serve the Lord in fear and rejoice with trembling. Now, he's really, I'm sure, interested in that first part, serve the Lord in fear, and that's what relates it to the discussion which came above. It's interesting, by the way, there is another verse in Psalms, Ivdu et Adonai b'simcha, uh, serve the Lord with joy, but that's not the verse he chose. He chose the one that says, serve the Lord in fear, and that clearly is the reference to the discussion about what it means of, of how we know we should enter into the Amidah with a sense of gravity and submission. But what's interesting is he quotes the entire verse, of course, and rejoice with trembling. And that's what the Gemara, the Talmud, then picks up on, saying, what does it mean to rejoice with trembling? I understand what you mean about serve the Lord in fear, but now that you brought it up, what's the end of that verse mean? And in fact, uh, Rav Ada Bar Matana quotes his teacher, Rabba, who had an answer for that. He says, Bimkom gila sham Wherever there is rejoicing, there should also be trembling. Wherever there is rejoicing, there should always be trembling. It's a fascinating statement and one worth thinking about a bit, but now let me tell you what the Gemara does with it. It relates two stories that are very similar, but I'm going to give you both of them uh, because just for the sake of completeness. The first story is about Mar, this rabbi Mar, the son of Ravina, who makes a wedding feast for his son. And while he's there, he invited all of the other rabbis, and he sees that the rabbis are excessively joyous. They're really having a good time. They're really enjoying themselves. So what does Mar do? It says, Aite casa de mokro, which means he brought out a valuable cup. And then the Gemara feels it important to answer the question how valuable it was, but arba mea zoos, 400 zoos. You might remember that the, the, uh, the uh, Gaja says that the goat was bought for two zuzim from the Pesach Seder, this is 400 zoos have to account for inflation there along the way, but this is 400 zoos, utvar kamaihu, and he broke it before them, and then they became sad. So uh, Ra, uh, Mar takes this 400 zoos glass and breaks it in front of them, and they're sad. Then the second story is very similar. Rav Ashi makes a wedding feast for his son, and he sees the rabbis also being excessively joyous. And it simply says, he brought a cup of extremely valuable white glass, doesn't say how expensive it was, and broke it before them, and they became sad. Now the question is, why did they become sad? Well, I can think of two possibilities, of which the second is the one that I really want to share, uh, want, to, want to concentrate on. The first one is, maybe they were sad that maybe uh, Mar and Ravashi made it look like an accident, and they were sad that they had lost this expensive glass. But I don't think that's what the teaching really is about. I look at it differently. I look at it as him purposely breaking the glass, and the rabbis were stunned into silence, even for a moment. doesn't say they didn't go back to being joyful. It says that at this particular time, 
they were, in essence, they, they, they became sad, at least for the moment. Why? Something about the sound of the glass breaking, something about the, the shattering of, of the laughter shattered them into silence for a moment and, and made them realize perhaps sad things that had happened in their lives, perhaps broken dreams that they might have had, perhaps just, just the, the fear they might have had, a broken glass all around, whatever it was, it stopped them from rejoicing. And again, I want to point out, it doesn't say that they didn't go back to rejoicing. They became sad. Maybe it was for a moment. Maybe it was for five minutes. But what these rabbis were trying to do, I think, was just bring people down for a moment from the utter joy to realize, in fact, that there is potential for sadness in the lives and in the world. And you might consider that to be like kind of a killjoy. Why didn't you just like have, a, have them have a good time? But that's what re rejoice uh, with, with, with trembling means. It means that, yes, we should rejoice, but somewhere in the back of our minds, or even more, more uh, clearly, we should recognize the fact that there is potential danger in the world. And this potentially a time where we won't be joyful. And by the way, that's a Jewish tradition. And by the way, it works the other way as well. Even at times of sadness, we look for ways to lighten our sadness by, by being more optimistic in certain ways. The Kaddish prayer, the morning prayer, the mourner's Kaddish, is actually a very optimistic prayer. And while it might be difficult for a mourner to say that right away, right after uh, their death, as the mourning process goes along, we can become more, more hopeful and see a, a light where there was darkness before. So it works that way as well. And in Jewish tradition, we shouldn't be completely joyous or completely sad. We should always have that way of balancing a little bit so that we recognize the reality of life. And this, of course, as I'm sure you understand by now, the origin of breaking a glass at a wedding. When the groom, or the groom and the bride, but traditionally the groom, stamps on a glass to break it, it's not to signal everybody to yell mazel tov, no matter what people do. It is to remember either, you want to say, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem uh, in, in ancient times, which we're told to remember even at moments of our greatest joy, or just to remind ourselves that life, in fact, is fragile, and blessings are fragile, and they don't they, they need to be protected. We need to care for them. We can't be carefree with our joy to the point where we lose the idea of being cautious and careful about the way we live our lives and the expectations we have. So that's the origin of this tradition, and I think it's a beautiful one. It's the idea of making sure to temper our joy a little bit and certainly to temper our sadness a little bit. And now let me just close the way I opened we can enjoy life, we can celebrate life, but we have to always remember those who are not in that position. And that's why so many people make contributions at times of simcha, times of joy in their family to, make, to, to reach out to others and to do tzedakah, to do charitable work of one kind or another. And that's why so many rabbis, God willing, as well as people who are pastors and other faiths, spend time on causes of human rights because everything isn't joyful in this world. And while we may feel joy at any one given time, 
we need to recall those who are not feeling that joy. And perhaps that's the whole tradition of where there is rejoicing, there should be trembling. We should enjoy our lives, but we should be cautious about protecting the, the things that are precious to us and helping those outside of our home and outside of our circuit, outside of our little uh, uh, area of life, reaching across the world if necessary to care for those who are in pain, in need, and to support those who are being abused in the world and bring them to a better place. That's our obligation. Until next time, thank you.